E Ching Two by Joan Sutherland. This is the second of two talks on the E Ching or Book of Change given by Joan Sutherland at Cerro Gordo in June of 2008. Last week um, I was talking about the uh, retreat I went to in May at the Vaisitos, the aging retreat, with Diane was also, and um, that I had gone with the hunch that the aging, the Book of Change, uh, which is part of the pre-Buddhist tradition of China, contained a lot of um, mythology and imagery and philosophy that went into Chan, into Chinese Buddhism. Um, and it's been kind of a missing piece. We know about the influence of Indian Buddhism and Taoism, but not so much about that. And, and so my hunch was that there were things there that might enrich our practice, uh, particularly stories, mythological stories and, and images. And so I, I talked a little bit last week about that, and, and um, I'm just wondering if anybody had any experiences with what we talked about, the ritual of the morning hut, where you go in as someone's child and come out as a, an adult, and the dead person goes in as a corpse and comes out as the an ancestor. Anything about that? Or the two brothers, one is a king, the other is a shaman who walks around in the in the hinterlands in the wild places, and, and because he does, he sees that the lady of fates has shown up on the shown up on the border, and so he goes out to meet her and brings her into the city, which the king would never know about from his palace. Well, okay, anything about that? Then I'll just carry on and we'll have more nothing. <laughs> That's great. Um, one of the, the glimmers I had during the retreat was that the agent had its own idea about awakening. And that was really interesting to me. So since then I've been kind of roaming around inside and have um, a few preliminary thoughts about the, the ease view of awakening and a little bit about um, the process of meditation, spiritual practice, and uh, and waking up. One of the things I particularly like about it is that, I think I mentioned this last time, that, that in Chan and Zen we can have this pretty linear idea of spiritual life and awakening, that we, we start here, the goal is over there, and we sort of spend our life on this campaign <laughs> towards awakening. But in the E, there's the sense of cycles, never-ending cycles, that, that it's not a straight line from here to there, but it's a, a series of cycles, and that you might go through uh, such a cycle several times in your life. So um, I'm going to look at my notes to make sure I get all the, the quotes right. Um, and and the other thing um, that I really noticed about about that approach is that um, I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. Sometimes in, in the spiritual life, we can give kind of global advice. You know, this, it's always true that you should. You know, 
and feel, or it, it's always true that you should never do that, you know, as if, as if there are things that are always true in any situation under any circumstances. And the ease idea is much more like, listen to the time, feel what the time is, and figure out how to respond based on your listening to the time. There's very little global advice that it's always right to do this or wrong to do that. Um, okay, so there's one kind of glimmer of an image of meditation, which comes from an old Chinese ceremony, when people would come into a temple, probably fairly much like this. The one big difference is that the first thing they would do would be to drink some wine together, um, which was uh, meant to dissolve any disharmonies among the people. <laughs> uh, and then people would, would sit in meditation and the image, I, I talked last week about how there are some of these sort of elemental images like the mountain and the lightning and fire and thunder and things like that in, there. And people would sit like mountains. Well, that makes perfect sense to us, you know, that the, that, that image is common in Zen, that, we, that mountains are still and strong. And in the, in the ease um, idea also, they represent the limits and the boundaries of things. So you, not only are you sitting still and strong, but you're stopping. And you're not going out and being scattered all over the landscape. You're setting a limit and a boundary, and you're containing in, in the mountain. So everybody sits around like mountains. And then the ancestors and another of these elemental images, which is radiance, the bright elements, uh, is invoked to come in. So radiance comes in, and this is the, one of the parts that was so interesting to me. It circulates, she circulates through the room among everybody who's sitting like mountains. So it's something, and it kind of weaves everybody together. So it's something that happens to everybody communally initially. And then the radiance begins to enter each individual mountain. And the image there is that there's a ladder inside the mountain, and Lee Radiance climbs the ladder to the heart and illuminates the heart, and then keeps climbing and pours out of the top of the mountain and, and pours all over everybody. And then the cycle comes in, so she pours out all over, she comes back and rises up through the mountain, gets poured out again. So there's this continual circulation that has this you know, individual aspect and a communal aspect simultaneously, and people are brought together as well as having their individual experiences. Um, in, in Zen, we might think more of the imagery of the light kind of descending down into the hara, into the place in the lower abdomen, and then spreading out from the hara. So whether it's going up or down, it's really the same image, which is the sense of the, the dynamic interplay between mountain and fire. And again, that's a very important part of the E, that you always have two things mixing it up. You know, that, that any situation is described as the interplay of, of two things, in this case of mountains and radiance. Um, okay, so uh, you do that for a while, and then perhaps you begin to experience the process of awakening. And 
Um, it, it seems to me right now, anyway, that the ease idea of awakening is kind of located in um, hexagram 61, which has two names. One of the names is connecting to the center, and the other name is the open heart. So already we begin to have an idea of what the idea of awakening is. Okay, hmm, connecting to the center of the open heart. All right, let's let's go with that. So what I want to do is kind of play with what the E says about this and expand it a little and bring in some, some charm in the imagery as well. So as near as I could determine a path, a process of um, connecting to the center and the opened heart, and I'll just, I'll just mention parenthetically that the word meditation, which has a Latin root, literally means to be moved to the center, which is kind of nice. You know? It's not move yourself to the center. <laughs> you know? It's to be moved to the center. It's something that occurs, something that happens, uh, as we said. Okay, so this first process of meditation, of being moved to the center, is emptying your heart. Uh, and the ease advice about that is contained in one of the one of the lines in the hexagram, and it goes like this. This is the beginning. This is where you start. Make a sacrifice for the repose of the dead. Let the mourners go home. Wise words, the way opens. If strangers come, do not feast them. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, make a sacrifice for the repose of the dead. Well, that's kind of interesting. What's the dead? Um, is the dead the past? Is the dead what we're holding on to? And it doesn't say you have to annihilate that or cut it off or ignore it or repress it. It says make a sacrifice for the repose of the dead. Let the dead sleep. Don't keep waking them up. <laughs> and let them have their repose. Okay, so that make a kind of sense? Um, and some of you may remember from last week, when you're dealing with a dead person, there's uh, part of the part of the the what happens after someone dies is there's a ghost, and um, your job is to is to convince the ghost that it would be really great to go back to the tomb and lie down and have a restful sleep through eternity. So we have the same idea of not murdering or expunging, but allowing to sleep. Let the mourners go home. That's just not lovely. Let them, yeah, I don't even know if I have to say anything like that. Just let the mourners go home. It's not that time anymore. They don't have to have residence in your heart. Uh, if strangers come, do not feast them. So here's one of these places where it's not global advice. When strangers come, do not feast them. It's not is probably not the right response 99% of the time. But there are times when it is the right response, right? There are times when it's time to say no, not to be helpful. I think of um, Psyche's Underworld Journey, which I've alluded to sometimes, where she gets this advice about how to navigate the underworld. And one of the pieces of advice is um, don't be helpful. <laughs> 
um, and don't revive what is already dead. So it's really the same, exactly the same advice. And finally, the last bit of advice to Psyche is um, um, when you get to the palace, don't sit on Persephone's throne. Don't become the queen of the underworld. Which is the same thing as let the mourners go home. You know, don't get stuck as the queen of the underworld. So that's that's the process of emptying your heart, letting things sleep, letting things go home. Uh, if strangers come, you don't invite them in. And the the comment on that, which I think again requires no further comment from me, is if you're always worrying about other people, you will have no peace. Do not take on their problems now. So again, not global advice, but for this for this place on the journey. Disperse your old identity and the sorrow it implies. So that's letting the warriors go. Use the strength of a horse to rescue what is important. So there's an interesting discrimination. You know, that there might be some things that are that are important to have with you at such a time, and you should exert great strength to make sure you do. Um, and then, after you've gone a distance in emptying your heart, you will encounter someone or something that can change the course of your life, and there will be deep mutual recognition. So I immediately thought of a, a Chan poem, which talks about the same territory of awakening. And there's a line from that Chan poem that says, An old woman oversleeping at dawn encounters the ancient mirror and clearly sees a face no other than her own. An old woman oversleeping at dawn encounters the ancient mirror and sees a face no other than her own. In the words of the E, you will encounter someone or something that can change the course of your life. The next process, the next part of the journey, is to move to the still point at the center between the opposites. We've been talking a lot about dualities and polarities and how to deal with them and um, how to find the third thing, how to not accept the terms of the, of the dualities and polarities, how to make the sideways move, how to find the thing that cuts through, that cuts the duality into one, that kind of thing. So here that is. In, in the idea of the E, the third thing is a still point at the center between the two polarities. Um, one of the things we talked about is how sometimes the con will offer you some bait, and it, sometimes it'll set up a duality or, or a polarity, and the bait is you have to choose, and that's always the wrong response. <laughs> always the wrong response. Um, and I was thinking, I was thinking about a, a kind of really fun. Uh, little koan question that um, you might get asked someday, which is, which is, you come in, you come into the room, you sit down, and the teacher asks, 
on how many steps did it take to get to this room. Now the babe is, oh my God, I have no idea. I am such a bad Buddhist. I'm not mindful. If I'm mindful, I would have been paying attention. I'm going to know exactly how many steps. I'll bet the teacher knows how many steps, right? That's that's the babe. Okay, so um, I will leave you with the question of what's not taking the bait. What would a response be that's not taking the bait? How many steps did it take to get to this room? And have some fun with that. Okay, see if you can see if you can be playful with that and have some fun. Okay, so um, this is this is a very this, a very deep idea of not taking the bait of not. Um, thinking you have to choose. One of the early, very earliest descriptions of the Buddha was as the deer who slipped the trap. So the deer who gets out of the trap and runs, bounds into the forest and gets free in the wild places. It's a very powerful image, you know, very old image, the deer who slips the trap. And that's that sense of not getting stuck on the horns of the dilemma, not getting stuck on the duality, but finding that way right right down the middle, right through the center, that frees you um, from, from that false dichotomy. So when we do that in the Eastern, when we when we slip the trap like the Buddha did. Uh, a wave of blessing pours into our heart. And the nature of that blessing is that it connects our inner and our outer lives, and it connects both of them to the Spirit. In connecting our inner and outer lives, it connects us to what we would now call being our unconscious or something like that. Um, which the E refers to as pigs and fishes. <laughs> Guess what? Great good fortune. <laughs> you get to be connected to all the pigs and fishes. <laughs> which I just love. So think of the pigs and fishes, you know, when you're having a, a, an uneasy relationship with your own inner life. Um, and you begin to trust in the images that that flow from your heart. And again, that's something else we've talked about too, is, is that when when images arise in meditation, be interested in them. Trust them. They might have something to tell you. They might be message, messages from a bigger place than the values of your own heart and mind. Um, in this process of this blessing flowing into the heart, it, and I mentioned that it also connects us with the spirit. And there's an old Chinese saying, keep a green bough in your heart and a singing bird will visit you. So that's that sense of what the, the blessing. If we make a green bough in our heart, the bird will come and visit us. And then I thought, oh my gosh. Um, we're all, some of us are really thinking about Roxas because we're making them right now. There's a, we sew a green pine needle on the back of our, of the Roxas. It sits right at the nape of our neck. And, um, in the old, the old world of the E, the spirits come and grab you by the back of the neck. That's where they come. And so I thought, maybe we're making a bow for the bird to come and sit on, on the back of our neck and then eventually sort of work its way into our heart. <coughs> And um, I like that. Mm-hmm. 
So as you go along in this process, then um, this connection between inner and outer life and this connection to the spirit leads to um, a deep faith in the processes of life. And one of the ways that Stephen Karcher describes that is that the sense of things as random dissolves. Randomness dissolves. And I really like that a lot. It's not that everything gets perfect, you know, or nothing bothers us anymore, but it just doesn't feel like all this random stuff coming at us all the time. There's a sense of... um, of a meaning to it, a sense of we have a relationship with it. It isn't all just um, just random. So the heart begins to be at peace and it creates its own stable point to deal with the difficulties of life. So this being um, a Chinese philosophy, it doesn't stop there. You know, the goal isn't, okay, your heart's at peace, that we're done. Um, there's always a next step. And the next step is that from that place you can be, begin to affect the world around you. Um, you can influence things. And that that appears in another line of this hexagon, in a connection that binds us together. So you can do something. There is this, you can trust that there's this connection that binds us together and you can use that and you can act energetically. And you can put things right if they're not. Um, and the last thing I want to say about about the ease idea of awakening that is tremendously important is that that it's not a, it's not an idea of transcendence. It's not about getting off the wheel, out of samsara, and gone. Um, the open heart is seen as the moment in which you recognize the subjectivity of everything else. You're inside everything else, and you experience everything from inside itself. So it's the open heart is just deeply in the world, not floating above the world or back from the world. But it's when you can feel everything. You can feel what everything is like from inside itself. Um, for them, the idea of spiritual transcendence was a, a, an attempt to break the Tao, which seemed like a bad idea to them. But that, that this open heart as, being, as feeling the subjectivity of everything allowed you to stay in the Tao and continue sort of rolling along with the Tao. And, and I'll give you a couple of images for that because that's a little abstract. Um, here's the image of transcendence, which is not a good thing. This is the, the top line of the hexagram. It goes like this. A soaring sound, wings mounting to heaven, trap, the way closes. So the idea there is that if you try to launch and, and achieve escape velocity and get out, um, you'll fall into the hunter's net and there will be disaster. And it warns you, if you set out now, your nest will burn and all your connections to life will vanish. So it's really, you know, it's really, it's not a good thing to, to, to jump up like that. Um, and, and the advice is to stay low, 
and we'll come back to that in the, in, in the positive view of, of um, awakening. And also to let go of the sorrows that impel this flight. Now that seems to me to be tremendously psychologically sophisticated. What are the sorrows that impel us to believe that the only thing we can do is fly up and out? That that's the only escape? You know? And if we confront those sorrows, we can resolve the need to fly up and out, to achieve escape velocity. So in contrast to that image of a bird that flies up and gets caught in the hunter's net and whose nest burns, there's another line, line two, and it goes like this. A calling crane hidden in the shade, its offspring respond in harmony. And the calling crane says, I have a winged wine vessel, come to me, I will simply pour it out. So the image of awakening is of this bird mother calling to her children, saying, you know, come, drink. I have this endless vessel, and I will pour it out for you, and you will never be thirsty. And that's called the center of the heart's desire in the E. And the advice is, um, respond to it. It will change your life. And that made me think of um, another verse from the thing where the image of the old woman was sleeping at dawn came from. And it goes like this. For whom do you bathe and make yourself beautiful? The voice of the cuckoo is calling you home. Hundreds of flowers fall, yet her voice is not stilled. Even deep in jungle peaks, she is calling clearly. So the image of hundreds of flowers falling and the jungle peaks are both images in charm for the hustle and bustle, the hurly-burly of life, all the things that happen. And even through all of that, through all of the eventfulness of life, her voice is not still and she's calm clearly. So the E remarks as if we needed to hear, this is a blessing. <laughs> If you persevere, your cares and sorrows will disappear. So that's the promise of this kind of awakening. Stay small and humble, and you will connect with what is important. So that's the sort of beginnings of a teasing out of a view of awakening in each Thank you. This talk is offered as a benefit for members of Awakened Life. If you would like to become a member or give donor to John Sutherland, please visit awakenedlife.org.